Hey folks, welcome back to the 100th episode of The Investment News Podcast. Bruce, uh, this is number 100. Do you have anything special to say to kick us off? I can't believe we've made it, Jeff. I can't believe we made it. 100 episodes. My goodness, man. We've come a long way, right? One at a time. We banged them out. So uh, well, I guess we'll, 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 we'll have this powwow again at 200. But uh, Oh, wow. Now you're making me. Now my bones are aching. You start for, talking like that, man. For oh. now, we have Andy Sig from yes. Merrill Lynch Wealth Management uh, dialing in from London. Um, he says he was not attending the Jubilee, but uh, we'll get into that maybe in a little bit here. We're going we're gonna to talk to Andy about a few things, but I first want to introduce him to those of you who might not know him as well as, as well as we do. Andy Sig is president of Wealth Management and a member of Bank America Corporation's executive management team. In this role, he oversees more than 25,000 employees who provide investment and wealth management strategies to individuals and businesses across the U.S. Mr. Sig also oversees Bank of America's Investment Solutions Group, which includes the Chief Investment Office and a wide range of thought leadership, product, and portfolio offerings and platforms. With more than $3.3 trillion in client assets, Merrill is among the largest businesses of its kind in the world. Since joining Merrill Lynch in 1992, Mr. Sig has held a succession of senior strategy, product, and field field leadership roles in the wealth management business. From 2005 to 2009, he held the emerging affluent client segment within Citigroup Global Wealth Management. In 2009, he returned to Merrill Lynch after the firm's acquisition by Bank of America. Andy Sig, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, uh, Jeff, Bruce. It is great to be here and congratulations on 100 episodes. Thank you very much, Bruce. Uh, you want to kick it off with the uh, first question here for Mr. Sig? Yeah, sure. But first, before a question, Andy, our colleague, Mary Beth Franklin, who, who's, who's one of our retirement people and the doyen of Social Security, she wanted us to say hello to you this morning. Oh, well, please, please give her my best. And uh, she is a real leader in the field. It's wonderful to hear her name. And, uh, you know, when, when you're trying to understand all that's happening in the world of uh, Social Security and retirement, she is, she is a go-to person. Yeah, she's an amazing person, amazing reporter. Andy, first topic is something we wanted just to run by you. Last year was such a fantastic year for the wealth management business, for fin- not only for financial advisors, for their clients, but for the big firms too, right? Big firms, little firms. You guys, right? I think I, for the story, another story I'm working on, I think you guys used the word record 25 times in your little summary that you put together about the wealth management group at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And that's across the whole shooting uh, match, right? The private bank, the wealth managers, the Merrill Lynch, et cetera. Use the word record 25 times to describe 2021. So coming off such a great year and then coming into this year where the market has been da- as down as much as 20%, I believe, the broad market as measured by the S&P 500. Talk a little bit about 2021. What drove that? And then how is 2022 shaping up? Well, I think, uh, Bruce, you characterized it very well. 2021, um, it was a great year for the firm and uh, very proud to uh, to see so much uh, of the hard work that's been put in over the last five years uh, toward creating the, the modern Merrill, as we like to call it, uh, pay off. Of course, coming into this year, the, the macroeconomic environment, 
geopolitical environment and certainly the market environment have changed uh, dramatically. From the perspective of, of course, first and foremost, what our clients are experiencing, and this has been uh, this has been very challenging. And of course, this is uh, the first time in uh, in you know quite some number of quarters uh, where clients are opening their statements and uh, and it's hitting home in terms of what the changes in the environment mean uh, for them personally. That will create a headwind uh, for businesses across wealth management. I would say in the next breath, however, I, I could not be more proud of the way uh, advisors at our firm, and I see it across the industry, are standing tall and, uh, and proactively uh, advising clients uh, how to react to this environment. This is, uh, this is quintessentially the time when emotions run high and our clients make decisions that they uh, will come, uh, in many cases, to regret over time. And the role of a financial advisor is more important than ever. Uh, so while the environment itself and market levels are creating headwinds, in many ways, our firms were built to serve clients through uh, these kinds of, uh, of uh, choppy markets. Um, we're, we are seeing some records. We're seeing records in terms of... Uh, the uh, level of engagement with clients around financial plans. If we look at the first quarter, uh, year over year, we saw 30% more um, uh, meetings with clients where, where advisors were formally sit down and resetting um, you know, financial plans. Uh, that's, that's, a, you know, that's a great indicator that uh, good things are happening uh, across the business. Um, at, a, at a firm like ours, uh, our business model itself is quite balanced. And of course, um, you know, our, our investment business is the primary driver uh, of the economics of Merrill Lynch uh, wealth management. But we also have a, a, a large uh, banking business with our clients. We lend them money, they keep their deposits here. So you know, in a financial sense, uh, we've got headwinds in terms of market levels. Um, but we've got some tailwinds that are emerging here as the interest rate environment uh, is, is shifting. Um, and again, you know, this is uh, when you think about how a business like ours was built, it's designed to have uh, diversified revenue streams so that we uh, you know, can, can perform well uh, across market cycles. So you know, that's where I would net out. I, I'd be you know, generally very balanced. We're spending... Uh, Little time thinking about 2021. We're spending all all of our time thinking about clients and kind of navigating around what's in front of us. And I, I've I've liked what I've seen here in the first part of the year. So it's kind of the old nostrum, right? This is when you need, you know, in bad markets is when you need a financial advisor. Well, we we've called it at different points uh, a bull market for advice because uh, you know wealth levels have increased dramatically. When you see you know downward trading markets, volatile markets. You know, geopolitical events happening. Even the most uh, confident uh, investor, um, in some cases, even investors who have been self-directed uh, for a period of time, are realizing, um, you know, I need a partner, I need a trusted advisor, uh, and you know, therefore, another another aspect that comes out of uh, this kind of environment is, in many cases, this is an environment where our financial advisors are winning uh, clients um, and establishing new client relationships. Not necessarily clients that are coming from other advisors, but in many cases, it's clients who, you know, have felt pretty self-directed over a number of years, and, and at this point, have decided uh, I could use some help, and the dollars that at stake are, 
enormously meaningful to uh, to my family and I, and uh, therefore let's let's uh, you know get a little more serious and be a little more uh, planful in terms of how we're we're thinking about our investment strategy. How does that work in terms of your your people at Merrill Edge and those accounts, and how many of those? I don't know if you've ever given out any numbers about this, but how do those Merrill Edge customers, which are you know sort of self-directed, semi-self-directed, right? Uh, they speak with an advisor, they deal with an advisor online, or they speak with them over the phone. How does that translate into full-on wealth management, you know, financial planning relationships? In the Merrill Edge business, there's uh, several several client types. Um, there is a right. segment of that uh, client base that is, uh, you know, truly self-directed, and they're um, they're transactors. They're typically not. The, the heaviest trading clients. Um, we, we didn't build um, our self-direct platform to serve those clients. Um, it's really designed more to be uh, where, um, you know, a client who is just beginning uh, to, uh, to invest will feel comfortable. There's a lot of education content, um, you know, research and guidance uh, there. Um, so that's a segment of the client base. There's another segment of the client base <clears throat> that are clients of Merrill Financial Advisors uh, who also have a self-direct account that is essentially a sidecar to their investment advisory relationship and the advised brokerage activities, um, and that's been growing, you know, quite rapidly for us. And uh, you know, when you when you look at uh, really research or or other research, you know, it shows most high net worth clients, no surprise, have a self-direct uh, account somewhere. Um, even if they you know, primarily uh, invest their uh, their serious long-term dollars uh, through a relationship with a financial advisor. And so we're, we're working to see those clients move their self-direct relationship over to us. We have within the edge business, uh, a robo-advisor, essentially, Merrill Guided Investing. That's growing quite rapidly. Um, and, uh, and, you know, from, from just, uh, you know, starting at zero a couple of years ago is now I think approaching uh, $30 billion uh, in Merrill guided investing. Overall, we see clients in the edge business, you know, in markets like this who are opting to um, establish one-on-one -on -one relationships or relationships with financial advisor teams. And so, you know, in that regard, if we look at edge from the seat of a financial advisor, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's essentially a, a place where future client relationships are being developed. And we see, we see clients move uh, over time, uh, at least the locus of the relationship from the self-directed platform to an advisor. So those are the three or four different things that happen within Edge. It, it's a large business in aggregate. It's, uh, you know, approaching uh, or it may have just surpassed four hundred billion billion in client balance. $400 billion, you said? Right. Yes. How, how much is that up since the... Uh, 2019 since the pandemic. You know, I, I couldn't. I has it doubled over that time or or what? No, I but I, I think the more uh, you know the, the the more really interesting and impressive number. Um, you know, when Merrill was acquired by Bank of America, there was a a small uh, direct client business, Merrill Lynch Direct, uh, and then Bank of America had a um, you know had a, a self direct business as well. Those two were put together. They were it's roughly sixty billion in client assets. So right. uh, over the last eleven or so years, that's grown from sixty billion to four hundred billion, um, and done it, you know, by and large organically. You know, there's been some advertising that's happening. You of course see 
And you didn't do any acquisitions there either. No, there were no no acquisitions. You know, limited advertising, uh, a very strong advisor force, but you know, at the core, really the business is very integrated with the Bank of America Consumer Bank, which touches 65 right. million plus households in the U.S. And so that's been a source of growth, and it's been a it's been a tremendous success story. Yeah, sixty billion to four hundred billion in eleven or twelve years. <laughs> yeah, is is pretty yeah. impressive. <laughs> it is. I just have a something I want to circle back with you that you and I talked about, I think back in uh, March is hiring. And then I wanted to, and where financial advisors are coming from. And then I want to throw it over to Jeff. So uh, Jeff, if you'll just bear with me for a little bit more with, with Andy here. Absolutely. Um, if, and if you recall, we were talking, I think in March, you and I spoke about hiring and that Merrill Lynch during the pandemic, you all kind of hunkered down, right? Um, on bringing in in new advisors, but you're kind of out there looking to bolster the numbers of of advisors at the firm again, and you're targeting younger financial advisors with limited experience in the industry and more selectively experienced advisors outside major metropolitan areas. You all have mentioned Florida, I think, um, uh, as, as a market you're looking to expand in. That's not a, you know, uh, a, a mystery or a shocker, I think. I think there's been 20,000 families that have left New York, uh, you know, and moved elsewhere, all, many to Florida during the pandemic, and they need, you know, wealth management support. I saw something on just on the news when I had the news on getting drinking my coffee this morning, you know, like uh, airlines can't find pilots. <laughs> They're having to cut back uh, local flights because they can't find pilots and pilots retire at the age of 65. How's it going higher? And hiring is tough across all industries these days. How is that going two or three months later after you and I spoke about that? Well, I think it's going well. The, um, we probably advanced the strategy even um, you know, a bit in the three or so months since we, we spoke about it, Bruce. And let me just size it, uh, you know, and and review it very quickly, um, because it's a it's a diversified uh, approach to building um, our advisor team, um, you know, over the years ahead. Um, we do have a uh, kind of a, a classic, uh, you know, training track. We call it the advisor development program. Right. Um, that is that is where we'll hire someone um, unlicensed, maybe straight out of college. Uh, they'll spend time early in their career, generally in, in the edge business uh, around the consumer bank, uh, and then you know be on a course to be a Merrill Financial Advisor. That program is scaling up. Uh, it'll be graduating uh, about a thousand financial advisors a year when it's at uh, full scale. You know, the second program we have more of an apprentice program essentially, where um, uh, uh, you know folks who were uh, in many cases, licensed and have experience, and so they don't really fit into the advisor development program. But they also don't don't uh, you know have a a full book of business. They'll join us through a team, what we call the team financial advisor program. Uh, there'll be about 200 people this year hired through that program who will work. That they'll join us directly onto um, existing Merrill teams. Uh, third, we've got the early career hiring that you talked about. You know, this is, uh, you know, the, the type of candidate here is someone who has started a career uh, at a firm and they realize they, they, they love the wealth management industry. They, they love working with clients, uh, 
Um, but you know, to serve high net worth and ultra high net worth clients in particular, they may feel they they should be uh, working, you know, on another platform, you know, perhaps under the banner of a different brand, and that that would help them, you know, grow their practice and, and achieve all they think they can in our business. We call that our advisor growth program. This year, we're going to hire a little over 500 people, um, you know, in that um, regard. And then finally, fourth, you know, we are doing um, more. Over the over recent months, in, in the in the way of kind of that classic experience, experienced advisor hiring, um, you know, it's certainly in a market like Florida, we're looking to hire. But you know, the the first three uh, types of hiring, those first three doors uh, into the firm, you know, they they function particularly well when we're in markets where Merrill already has a presence. Um, you know, other firms are operating. Sometimes when we're in areas of the country where there's a Merrill office, um, but we, you know, but we don't have, uh, you know, the broader company and consumer bank and a lot of competitors, you know, that's a place as well, as well as a, a market like Florida, some of these community markets are places where we're also doing more in the way of experienced hiring. Um, you know, this experienced hiring is not, it's not the same scale as any of the prior three uh, programs that I talked about. Um, you know, but we are, we, we receive a lot of inquiry from experienced advisors. They've, you know, they've heard about things we're doing in the platform, but people realize, you know, over the last four or five years, we've done very little traditional recruiting. We're starting to, you know, when people are knocking on the door, we're starting to open that door um, more frequently now. So you'll see us um, over the next few months doing more in the way of this fourth category of traditional experienced hiring in, in some high growth markets, but also in some of the community markets where the other programs are not, uh, not as likely to uh, yield results. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating that there's this strategy to have these three, four, five different portals for people who are either experienced financial advisors or, or just starting out in the business to come into, you know, the, the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Merrill Lynch model. There's a lot of detail, obviously, that and a tremendous amount of planning that you guys have put into each of those uh, doorways, as you say. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, we really want, you know, advisors uh, at all different points in their career, um, you know, to see a way to join our firm. And if they're, you know, of, uh, of, of high quality, reflect the values that, uh, you know, we hold, hold dear, um, you know, whether you're just starting out or, or, you know, well into your career, you know, we want there to be a door that works for you. I, I don't think at any point we've ever had this degree of flexibility. Yeah, that's what's really remarkable, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you're still doing more training than anyone else on the street, right? Yeah. Well, and it's and it's a and it's a diversified portfolio. So, you know, we're going to I'm sure the success of all four of those hiring programs will not be equal, but we've got we've got data around this program, you know, at a level that we also didn't have previously and we'll be We'll be tweaking the program and resizing them over time uh, right. uh, to try to get the best mix. Great. I, I just think it's fascinating. Jeff, what do you got for Andy today? Yeah. Hey, Andy. How you doing? Hey, Jeff. I want to I take a step back a little bit. Uh, you talked about the, you know, you're seeing the appeal of financial advice growing in these times. Um, you've been around this, this business for a while. What, what would you compare this current period to? Um, as far as the the markets in the economy, I mean, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand one. Is this is this nineteen eighty? That is, that's a, you know, it's it's a heck of a of a good question. I mean, you know, it's uh, 
you know, mo, mo, we all live looking forward. So, and we've got in some cases short memories. And so, um, it's amazing how many how many conversations I have in recent weeks that uh, even the pandemic and what what we've all lived through in the last two years has mm-hmm. receded in people's memory. That you know, you have to remind them that you know we've had an unprecedented, is essentially full stop of big chunks of the global economy in 2020, 2021 levels of fiscal and monetary stimulus that we also could never have imagined would occur in our lifetime, you know, thrown, you know, uh, at the economy, a restart of the global economy. I I think we'd be stretching it to try to make a straight comparison to any prior period. Um, You know, we're, we're still, we're seeing, you know, very uh, conflicting signals. Uh, And of course we see the, the challenges we talked about earlier, you know, the, we're moving into a uh, you know very different um, environment for monetary policy as rates are, are moving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Fed's back away from the market. However, you know Bank of America uh, at Bank of America we have a lot of data on underlying consumers and their health and I mean literally how much money is in their checking account. And you know we see we see a lot of purchasing power that consumers in the U.S. have. There's you know there's balances in checking savings accounts that are double uh, what they were going into the pandemic. And so um, you know there's no sign that consumers stretched. Uh, you know consumer spending is up year over year, even though consumer sentiment is very poor. So there's a you know there's a lot of uh, you know conflicting signals. Uh, I mean in the biggest picture. We think uh, the the secular bull market is alive and well, and that what we're experiencing right now is a is a a cyclical, um, you know, a technically bear market. We hit that twenty uh, percent, um, um, you know, uh, pullback level, uh, but a, a cyclical bear market in a longer term secular bull trend. Um, you know, typically uh, in the post war era, these secular bull markets have been. You know, 17, 18 years on average. So, you know, our technicians would say this this bull market still has you know four or five years to run, uh, and the pullback that we're experiencing now, in, in technical terms, uh, is very consistent with you know with with past um, you know bull market periods where you see where you see the market retrench at different points to the 200 week moving average. Yeah. Um, so, so I you know that that among other things, causes me to have fundamental optimism here around around what we're going to see from markets over the next uh, few years. But again, I, I think we'd be we'd be foolish to be, you know, um, overconfident because again, th- these are these are truly unprecedented times. The point you made about the uh, cash on the on the balance sheets, I kind of look at that in a couple different ways. One is it could be fear that's keeping that cash on the balance sheets. Um, and the other side of it is uh, a sophisticated financial advisor could do well by reminding people uh, in a historic inflationary period how bad it is to have too much cash on the balance sheet. It's very, very those are very you know, fair points. Um, on, on the first point, consumer spending itself, what we see in terms of um, you know, just activity using cards, writing checks mm-hmm. across Bank of America, that's yeah, that's meaningfully up year over year. Um, you know, nine, ten percent. Uh, you know, May to May, um, and you know, some of that has been, um, you know, just a resurgence in you know service areas of the economy that have been you know hit particularly hard by the pandemic. You know, anything associated with travel 
I was talking with a, a client yesterday who's uh, in the um, you know the cruise line industry, and you know their bookings um, you know are uh, you know through the roof uh, in terms of folks who have been you know holding on to pushing back uh, you know travel they now feel it's uh, safe and it's the time to go. Um, so so again, uh, you you made good points, but you know I also think we're seeing we're seeing pretty buoyant spending behavior, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know and and so again these are these are mixed uh, there's a mixed set of indicators. I want to go back to something you you kind of touched on when you're talking about the the ranks there. Um, this this breakaway trend that we've been writing about in the financial services industry and trade publications for years, uh, advisors leaving wirehouses, going independent. I mean, here at Investment News, we have a whole, almost a division that looks at RIA uh, breakaways with with conferences and webinars and podcasts. And but I want to know what that looks like from your perspective. You're inside there. Are I mean, I'm I'm not expecting you to tell me that people are you know racing for the exits, but we know there's movement. <laughs> Do you guys? I know you're recruiting like crazy, but. Um, Talk about the movement amongst and between the the wirehouses and the brokerage firms sure. and, and what you see in terms of a breakaway trend. Are you, I mean, I'm fully prepared for you to tell me the breakaway trend is overblown. I'm, I'm you know, I'm open to hear that, but I'm not putting words in your mouth. <laughs> well, the fierce competition, uh, even a war for talent for uh, financial advisors uh, is nothing new, but the characteristics of the war have changed. Uh, I joined Merrill in 1992. So we think about the 90s. Um, you know, people were coming and going firm to firm, but largely uh, movement was happening between the quote-unquote wirehouses. Occasionally, you'd see financial advisors uh, not leaving to go to another wirehouse, but leaving to go to a, a, a regional firm. Uh, fast forward to today, um, when, when folks are leaving a firm like ours, it's much closer to uh, a third, a third, a third, you know, going to wirehouses, regionals, or some version of independence. And of course, as you and your team know, the, you know, you can't, you can't make a, a blanket description of the independent industry. There's now lots of you know, different ways to affiliate. Um, but, you know, I think, I think thinking about these trends is a, a third, a third, a third in terms mm-hmm. of where folks would go when they leave a firm like, you know, like ours or other wirehouses is that's a fair characterization. Um, this, you know, again, it's not, uh, it's always been, you know, fiercely competitive. We, we have to think about our, you know, two, serving two sets of clients. We have to think about, of course, our, our actual investor clients, but we need to think about financial advisors you know, as clients of the firm and how, you know, we're competing uh, to hold them, to serve them. You know, this is, you know, it has been through the course of my career and it will be for, you know, decades to come. This is an advisor centric business, um, you know, certainly serving high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. Um, And so we're, you know, when we talked earlier about training, it reflects, uh, you know, we're trying to we're trying to, you know, battle that war for talent by having just a, a powerful linked set of capabilities for an advisor across their career. And it's the training mm-hmm. programs that are so important early, you know, the best offerings and platforms to help you grow uh, during the, the heart of your career over a number of decades. And then programs at the end of your career to help you monetize your business, um, you know, as an advisor and from a client standpoint to help ensure 
you know, seamless coverage over time as the relationship moves to, to individuals who are coming up, the next generation within an advisor team. And so that's, that's kind of broadly um, how we think about it, Jeff. All right. I got now I'm going to introduce you to one of my famous two part questions, and they're famous because they don't always they don't always relate to one another. But you'll 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 have to. it's up to you to be able to muscle your way through this. All right. First of all, is fee pressure. There's fee pressure. We've been seeing it for a few years again across the industry. Mutual fund fees, ETF fees, fees are going down, but the financial intermediary brokers and advisors have been most for the most part uh, sheltered from that. I'm kind of wondering why that is that way, why the people most closely related and connected to the people paying the fees are able to not are able to kind of withstand the fee pressure. The other part of that question is if inflation is everywhere, how come this isn't a good time for financial advisors to raise their fees? See how tricky those two-part questions are? <laughs> I got it. I, uh, well, I'll start with the second part. Uh, I think this is, I think we're moving into a period where we're going to see fees increasing uh, by financial advisors. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, to a certain extent, you would say fees, generally we're talking about, you know, fees charged on investment balances. And so you know, as investment balances have been increasing, you know, absolute fees go up for sure. But I, I think, um, you know, I don't want to uh, go too far out on the limb, but we're starting to see it in terms of some advisors taking a step back, thinking about all they're doing to support clients uh, across a much, much broader, more complete, uh, you know, uh, array of their needs and saying, you know, a relationship that was priced at uh, 80 basis points, uh, investment advisory fee is going to increase to 90. And, you know, and it's, um, you know, these are anecdotal right now, but I think we're going to see a lot more of it, which relates back to uh, part number one of the question, which is, so how's this happening? And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it boils down to the word value and it, the advisor who is closest to the client, um, you know, is providing clear, demonstrable, palpable value to the client. You know, they are, you know, sitting down across the table, eyeball to eyeball, helping a couple understand um, where they stand today, what's important to them in the future, and what are the decisions and the, and the course they need to take to maximize you know, their, their likelihood of achieving their goals. The client can see that and can appreciate it. And even at deeper levels, there's you know, helping them organize their financial life, you know, providing, you know, convenience, um, ensuring that they're working in a way that is secure for them and their family. We could go, we could go on and on. Mm-hmm. If we kind of go back the value chain to, you know, some products, you know, in many cases, you know, I think clients and advisors together are realizing that some historic product structures were inefficient. Um, and, you know, while they had value, they were just too expensive for the value that they were providing. And so, you know, I think the classic example of this is the, you know, rapid proliferation of ETFs, how many more portfolios are being built uh, around ETFs, and then a, a reduction in terms of the utilization of mutual funds. And I think that is a pure value price uh, trade-off that clients and advisors are making together. It's not that, you know, mutual funds don't exist or won't exist. It's that, you know, you really need to uh, understand as an advisor on the client's behalf, how's their fee budget being deployed? And uh, does it really make sense to uh, 
own a mutual fund that might be four or five times more expensive than an ETF, you know, that's essentially creating a, a similar exposure, you know, for uh, for the client. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of over the last 10 years, and again, this is not in any way specific to Merrill Lynch, but I think financial advisors are driving the fee discussion with clients and helping them be smarter around um, the building blocks of portfolios. Um, and I think clients are, are you know, they, they see that uh, the, the advisor is working on their behalf. And it's one of the things that gives them, uh, creates a willingness to, uh, you know, continue to pay the, the overall investment advisory fee because that's, a, that's another type of value that um, the advisor is creating, you know, for the client. And so when, when we think about hey, what, do we, what do we want to do, again, big picture for the business going forward, we want to continue to invest in our products and services in a way that helps an advisor have even more demonstrable value to the client. That's why we spent a lot of time in the last two years kind of overhauling our financial planning tool. Um, and we, we call it the personal wealth advisor. Um, you know, it is state of the art, um, very client friendly, uh, and it, it creates a, a platform for that ongoing interaction with clients so that they can really see and understand, um, you know, more transparently than ever before, the work that an advisor is doing on a client's behalf. All right. That, uh, that answers my two-part question. You did an excellent job navigating that, Andy. I can tell you. <laughs> well, I think starting at the back and working forward. Yeah, that's, that's, that that's the, the best way. Because it even <laughs> confuses the questioner. Um, uh, Bruce, uh, I'll pass it back to you if you got anything else for Andy. You got time for one more, Andy? Sure, you bet. Crypto Bitcoin. What does a Merrill Lynch, you know, wealth manager have access to right now for that? And then what are what's the firm thinking about, even though the value of Bitcoin, right, is down 50% or 60% or whatever for the year? You know, our view is powerful and, you know, important, even profound underlying technologies and concepts, but, you know, very uncertain, unproven, you know, value for cryptocurrencies themselves. Um, you know, there, therefore, um, when you when you look at our, our across our research franchise, for example, um, you know, Al Shaw and others who cover digital assets here are they're spending you know a lot of time pointing out and helping us understand um, you know the companies and the technologies that are kind of underpinning um, you know cryptocurrencies and w- what we think will enable Web 3.0. You know, but within the wealth management business. We have not been introducing or bringing uh, cryptocurrencies to client portfolios, and we've so we've been um, behind the industry by design. Um, you know, we haven't. You know, we 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 all live in a fiduciary world in this corner of the business. Um, we need to have a, a strong basis to to be recommending uh, introducing new um, components in client portfolios. Um, you know, in our view, it's just been too early, really, to uh, to have you know, a strong and rigorous view uh, around the role that, that cryptocurrencies are going to, you know, should play in an investment portfolio. And so, so you know, the specific answer to uh, the second part of your question is, you know, there, there, we, we do not have an offering in this space uh, today. Um, and, you know, we're continuing to, to, of course, look at it. We're watching, you know, the market action that's been happening very closely, but, you know, it's really not the 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 ups or downs day to day as much as you know understanding. Um, you know, will will 
these will this type of asset be playing a, a role that will help us build better client portfolios uh, over time? And of course, we're serving clients of, of you know across uh, the spectrum of sophistication, um, uh, you know. But but you know, by and large, you know, we're we're providing advice. We're operating as a fiduciary, and therefore, we need to have a a strong basis that this is the right recommendation for clients, and we just we just aren't aren't there yet with um, with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies themselves. Understood, Andy Sig, president of Merrill Lynch Wealth Management. Uh, thank you so much for talking to us for the hundredth episode of the Investment News Podcast. Well, Bruce, Jeff, thanks so much. Really appreciate the invitation. This has been great fun, and uh, I, I I hope to come back uh, someday. Hopefully, before episode two hundred. Yes, we will. <laughs> we will definitely get you back. And thanks for uh, helping us out and participating. Really, really great insights. Hey, Jeff, that was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. If it's Monday, it is time for another podcast. We want to thank our special guest for the 100th episode, Andy Sig, president of Merrill Lynch Wealth Management and Industry Veteran. We also want to thank Angelica Hester, our producer. Of course, you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com. You can also uh, listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Please follow us on Spotify. If you want to pepper my colleague, Jeff Benjamin, with questions, you can reach him on Twitter at BenGWriter. My handle is at BDNewsGuy. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you next week. Week.